you know, I think most people, and, and I think me for myself personally, you have this idea that philanthropy is, is for people like Bill Gates that create foundations and, and you know, feed people in Uganda or whatever. Um, it doesn't need to be that, right? It's, it's as soon as you have more than you need for your family, um, which is really much less than what a lot of people would think, then then your your mind naturally goes to how do I how do I use this business to help other people and, and what can you know to this whole idea of, of impact and uh, and where we go with it and that's the fun part. Listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swinefort. Hey everybody, Stu here. I have a really fun guest today. It's a little bit out of the ordinary on Relish This, and his name is David Weaver, and he is a representative of Franchise. And Franchise is an organization, and David does this work where he helps people who are looking to expand their opportunities and own their own businesses through franchising. And um the reason I had David on was a couple things. One was to just get a, a little bit different perspective and give people the opportunity to, to think outside the box a little bit. And one of the things that he has noticed in his experiences, both, both a franchise owner and through all of the good work he's doing with people who are looking to get into that space, is the ability and the opportunity for your franchise to enable you to do more good in the world. So whether that's a, allowing your franchise and the revenues they that get generated to fund a foundation or to donate to a nonprofit or to just generate additional revenue that you can then invest in other things that allow you to be more philanthropic as you, uh, as you get older. Um, so it's a really different episode. I think you're going to love it. David's a really great guy and here we go. Listen away. David, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk with you today about what all the things that you're up to over there at Franchise. Um, you've done some really cool things, and and I love how you got into this business. Yeah, um, it, it was definitely a bit of a journey. Um, becoming a franchise consultant is something that is not super common. Uh, many people don't ex- actually know that uh, folks are out there to help people guide them through a process of evaluating different businesses. Um, and, and my journey to get here was, uh, you know, not super common as well. Um, so I kind of did my thing like most people do, came out of college and went to uh, corporate America. It didn't take me very long to figure out that that wasn't a wonderful fit for me. Um, climbing the corporate ladder did not seem nearly as much fun as, uh, doing my own thing. Um, and so, Pretty early on, I decided that I was going to be a a business owner. Um, But like many people, I didn't really know what kind of business I wanted to own or or what that looked like. Um, And so I did various different things. Um, I started in the elevator business, uh, selling elevators and escalators here in Denver. Um, Many of the projects that we worked on way back then was building out the, the Denver Tech Center as we know it today. Um, as well as projects like the Denver Fashion Pavilion downtown and things like that. Um, 
And and then I moved on to kind of a full-blown sales role. So the elevator business was more project management, right? You're putting up uh, big projects and managing all of that going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, then I moved to a hardcore sales role. I, uh, I was selling interior design and decor, decor fabrication for big box retailers. So uh, King Supers or Kroger was a, was a client. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I lived in Denver at the time, and I think I was maybe 26. Um, and I had from the Mississippi River to the West Coast. So I was in an airplane and meeting with companies like, like uh, Safeway and, and Ralph's in California. Um, uh-huh and King Supers here in Denver. Um, and that was fun. It was, it was very much a sales role, uh, big program sales. So what we were trying to do is implement a new design for a store, and then you would do a test sample and do maybe five to 10 stores, and they would determine how, how the sales increase based upon the new design and the floor layout and stuff like that. Oh, that's and, pretty cool. And then you would, you know, the, the get name of the game would then be to do a store rollout where we would, take that new store design and roll it across the system of all the Safeway stores across the country or something like that. Or usually it would be a chunk of stores like 300 or something like that. Uh, very fun and exciting as a late twenties, uh, person. Um, and then my dad came to me, so I'm in Denver and I'm flying across the country and I think I'm a bigger deal than I probably really was. Um, (laughs) and, and my dad, um, was actually in a very similar situation to the clients that I work with now. Um, he was in his late fifties. Um, and he, uh, we had sold the family business. Let me go back a minute. I grew up in a family business. Both my mom and dad were uh, business owners. My mom owned a interior design company, um, and an office furniture. So Herman Miller and case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my dad and really my great grandfather, my dad, and my uncles, um, had a foundry and we made, um, it was a high production aluminum foundry that made intake manifolds and, and car parts for Ford General Motors Chrysler. Wow. So we were, okay. we were a first year supplier to the big three. Um, and so as I'm in high school going into college, um, that we, they sold the family business. Um, and then my dad, um, kind of fast forward was in this position where he was in his late fifties um, and felt like he was too old to go get a job and um, too young to retire. So, so he went out looking for a business to buy, um, right. which is very similar to the folks that I work with finding a franchise for the first time. They tend to be in that late forties, early fifties timeframe um, and, you know, have exited or transitioned out of corporate America for different reasons. Um, and so I can very much relate to that experience. So, uh, long story short, my dad found a job in foundry in Detroit. Um, I'm living in Denver and, and very happy with how things are going, uh, in Denver and fell in love with Colorado. Uh, and he says, Hey, I need your help. Um, I bought this business and it's not going well. Uh, this was in, I think he bought it in late 98. And so, no, late 99. He owned it for maybe six months um, before I left Denver. And so, you know, I bought my first house. So I had to sell my house and quit my job and moved to Detroit to help him with this business. So um, maybe nine months after I did that, I, uh, the Y2K bug, if you remember the Y2K bug that everybody's worried about, right? (laughs) Yep. Um, 
Well, the big three were very worried about it because every manufacturing facility across the country was is run on robotics, right? They have actually right. very few people today than uh, making cars, and so they had overproduced inventory in you know ninety six, seven, eight, nine, um, and in anticipation of this, well, nothing happened as we all know, and so because they had so much inventory, they shut production down right at two thousand. Well, then 9-11 happened the next year. So right. Detroit kind of artificially went into a, a recession much sooner than anybody, the rest of the country did after 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, and so as soon as I got to Detroit, the business went into a massive tailspin. Um, and, and I call that my real-life MBA. So I, I worked in Detroit for four years, and I, I'll just say I learned a lot, and I worked a lot. Um, but we, we turned the company around. Um, implemented ISO 9000 quality control systems. Um, I revamped the entire manufacturing plant. Um, we, when I got there, we were leasing four different warehouse spaces. Um, oh, wow. And they were all over the city. They were kind of the previous owner that my dad bought this foundry from. Um, they they kind of, the way that they had grown was just sort of, you know, as many business owners do, um, just kind of, added something whenever they needed it. Mm -hmm. So um, it didn't make any sense. I was spending much of my time moving patterns. So if you, the foundry business were making parts, so you have a pattern and every part has its own pattern and we would make maybe, it was a small jobbing foundry, so we would make one of this and six of that. Right. And so I was moving patterns a lot. And I was like, this is, I was the only guy in the whole building that had a college degree and I'm running patterns all over town. Um, and I literally was spending... 15 to 20 hours a week running patterns back and forth. Just so, driving them from, just, from yeah, facility and, to facility? Yeah. And, and we, we also had about 15,000 patterns. And so if, oh, you, wow. if you lost a pattern, so it was, it was a high um, security sort of um, job to have. You couldn't just give it to a guy making 10 bucks an hour, right? Right. Because um, if they lost them or didn't put them back where they go, we had a whole uh, you know, library system to keep track of them. Um, so long story short, we got out of those leases and I purchased the building down the street from our manufacturing facility, never bought a commercial building before, but I was like, how hard can this be? Right. Um, and, and I learned a lot about, um, all of that, which was pretty interesting, but that was a, the first step in making this, this transformation, um, from sort of the chaos that I walked into, to, um, getting my arms around the business. Um, so learned a lot, improved the business a lot, and, and also learned um, a couple of things that were pretty important. Um, I was pretty good at turning turning around the business that was um, chaotic and, and making sense of, of a lot of different moving parts. Um, and I also learned that um, family business is riddled with, with cliche. Um, mm -hmm. Don't get in business with friends and family is one. Um, Another phrase that I kind of coined coming out of that experience is people are funny about money. Um, <laughs> people, uh, especially in you know, small business. Um, and, and I've also determined that I coach my candidates on this uh, when they talk about partnerships and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. People are funny about money in two times. They're really funny about money when there's not enough. Mm -hmm. And they're also very funny about money when there's plenty or way too much. So right. as the business becomes very successful, 
uh, people's attitudes about things get really wonky. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's what I mean by my real life MBA. I learned a lot about small business and running business and family. And, and um, I ultimately decided that I didn't want to raise my kids in Detroit and I didn't want to um, be part of the family business. So um, in 2004, I told my dad, um, you can have the business and I'm going to go raise my kids in Colorado. And uh, that was a, that was a transition for sure. Um, and I just needed a job. So I jumped in my car and I called up a couple of my buddies from when I lived here before and I slept on their couch for a week and I had one um, actual appointment or meeting with a business owner. And uh, I, I literally spent seven days, maybe it was only five days, it was like a Sunday through a Saturday. Um, and I ended up talking with 19 different business owners all around Denver and just was trying to network myself into a job really. Um, but I was also trying to figure out what was the thermometer and the um, what was the economy like in Denver because Detroit was um, kind of on its own little island right. because, because of the manufacturing. So um, long story short, there was a uh, small non-bank lender, a, a, an equipment leasing company that also did loans. So we kind of did a little bit of both, but they were focused on small business lending. Um, and the owner of that company had, had sort of, he purchased a portfolio from Quiznos. Quiznos did a big lease portfolio, and so they couldn't manage it. And that gave him the idea that maybe franchising is a good place to be in, um, but he didn't have anybody to do the work to penetrate the franchise space. And so it was like, how hard can this be, right? And, and really, I wanted to learn banking. So, you know, I started in project management and then had hardcore sales. Um, running a manufacturing is... Uh, facility is very, very um, hands-on operations. And, uh, and I thought, you know, what I don't have is finance. And so I took that job and moved my family out to Colorado. And uh, at this point, my kids were really, really little. And I spent the next maybe seven years setting up finance programs for um, franchise, franchise brands that were non-SBA finance programs. So uh, we didn't have to go through the red tape of the SBA. Um, and we also could get franchisees funded more quickly um, and, and get them going. So I learned a lot about um, the kind of the inside scoop on how franchise brands grow and what's important to a franchisor, but what's also important to look out for because I was, I was in charge of managing the portfolio that I was building with the, with the company because um, – we grew our own portfolio, so we weren't selling off loans or anything. Okay. And, um, and that was really fun. I mean, I learned a lot about why banks under, underwrite some loans and don't underwrite other loans and why certain industry segments are challenging for small business owners and, and, um, and also how to value, evaluate businesses and, and understand um, kind of the whole finance side of the equation. Um, and that was really fun until 2008 when we had the financial crisis. Um, I learned a, another interesting and tough lesson. My success in um, placing a bunch of loans on the books with startup companies was the reason that our bank cut our line of credit in half um, during the, the crisis. So I was essentially out of business, um, the business that I was doing, right? So I needed to find a new 
something new to do. So that recession of 2008 kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, and I looked at buying 19 different businesses in 2008 and part of 2010. Um, everything from a small pizza shop that I could buy with cash to mm-hmm. a $10 million liquor store that with real estate and um, juggling different deals. So I, I looked at lots and lots of different kinds of deals, a couple of manufacturing, um, small manufacturing companies. Um, and and I, at the same time, a bunch of franchise brands were looking for a VP of sales. And so I was doing interviews for those. Um, and a friend of mine came to me and he said, well, if you're going to sell franchises, why wouldn't you consider being a consultant? And I was like, well, I don't know what that is. Um, and he said, basically, you're, you're helping people identify different businesses to buy, but you're working with hundreds of franchise brands, not just selling one particular brand. Right. I thought that, thought that was kind of cool. What, what does that look like? Um, and, and then I found that in the consultant role, you're not doing any sales. You're, you're actually you know, sort of counterbalancing that sales process, which is really quite interesting and, and it was quite a difficult transition, actually. But um, that's what I've been doing since 2010. Um, and in the middle of doing that, we, uh, my wife and I buy franchise assets in real estate. So that's kind of the full, full circle. So I help people buy businesses uh, or find the right franchise to buy, um, as well as, um, doing franchises on our own. Yeah, that's great. I think that it's really, I mean, it's really awesome to, to hear people's stories and how, how they ended up where they are. I mean, yeah, I think we've all all sort of taken this very nonlinear sort of path to, well, maybe not all of us, but but a lot of us have taken a very nonlinear path to where we've, where we've gotten to. And it's, um, it's always really refreshing to hear how other people, uh, made it to, to where they are today. Um, in terms of the, the business purchasing and the franchise stuff, are you, are you helping as kind of a business broker as well, or, or are you primarily working at helping people get into that kind of that franchise model? Great question. Um, a lot of people see it, um, a franchise consultant as a broker. Um, it, it's actually a tr- completely different buyer's profile and or process. Um, so having purchased existing businesses myself, when, like the franchise, the last franchise we owned was an Elements Massage. We owned a couple of locations. We mm-hmm. purchased those from a, an existing owner, um, okay. built, built them up, and then sold them. So I've, I've actually done the full circle of buying and building and selling, um, and as well as buying and not being successful and shutting down. So I owned a bar on DU's campus for a, a hot minute. That was a terrible investment. Um, <laughs> we I had a, de- a decorative concrete company for a, a, a year or two. Uh, right before the financial meltdown. So that also impacted the housing industry pretty tough. Right. Um, so that was a good learning experience, but not a good um, moneymaker, so to speak. Um, but without digressing, a business broker helps people buy existing businesses. And I really work with people to identify a business model to get into. So in my consulting practice, I don't work with people um, to help them evaluate a business or buy an existing business as much mm-hmm. as I help guide them from something that they know, right? A corporate job or a W-2 income to right. something that they want, but they don't know much about, 
what is being a business owner all about, right? So right. Uh, my process is very educational focused and, and gearing the candidate to make sure that they know how to ask all the right questions of the franchisor, but also talking to franchise owners to verify the information that they're getting from the franchisor. Um, so my buying a franchise or starting a franchise is, is quite a different process than buying an existing business. And, right. and frankly, I've got a lot of friends that are business brokers. And if that's what the candidate's interested in doing, I will introduce them to the business broker. And sometimes um, they want, they have the idea that they want to buy an existing business, but they also like the idea of a franchise. And so I just put the existing business into the mix. Let's evaluate them together, right? You can start a business right. with this franchise where you can buy that existing business. What are the pros and cons? Right, right. Well, I, I think that's, it's, it's super interesting. I mean, I've, I've myself have purchased a business before and, uh, probably should have talked with you prior to doing that because it was not the best decision that I ever made, but, um, what business was live, it? Live and learn. It was in a, an existing, um, marketing agency that was looking to transition away and, um, the owners were looking to get out of it and they came to us and, and we, you know, made an, an emotional, uh, decision, I think, uh, <laughs> thinking that this was going to solve, um, some problems that we were having as opposed to really, really digging into the actuality of the situation and the, and, you know, really getting a good understanding of, of what we were even buying. Um, but it was a, you know, it was a learning, uh, it was certainly, uh, and not super expensive, but, you know, fairly expensive learning, um, lesson for us. Uh, but you know, I think we all, yeah, you, know, you try things and you, you go out there and some of them, some of them work and others, others don't. But, uh, you know, this one for us was not a, not a, a home run, um, which is, which is okay. We, you know, survived it and, and are stronger for having survived it. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, as entrepreneurs, you, you kind of learn that, um, that learning is the game. Um, it's, you know, we, people view business, it's all about money and how much money you can make and building a business and all this. But if you focus on learning, um, you're 10 times further down the road. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I told you, I, I evaluated like 19 different companies to buy. What I learned in that process is when you're trying to buy somebody's business, the business owner that's selling it will, is happy to tell you anything that you want to know. But you have to know what kind of questions to ask to get the information that you really need. Um, and, and that sometimes is the biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just have no idea what, what questions to ask and, you know, everything sounds good. And, and, and then you've, you know, you get into it and you and you realize that, that you forgot to ask them about X, Y, and Z and, and it's, uh, you know, learning experiences, which are great. Yeah, we learned a lot of tough ones at the foundry as well because that yeah. was a that was a much bigger purchase and more complicated business, um, and and there was lots of stuff that we missed. So yeah, it, it just is what it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you know you you're probably never going to know everything, um, so you know going into it with a with an open mind that that there are going to be some surprises is probably healthy. Um, but, uh, but, you know, certainly I think knowing what questions to ask, that's a, that's a really good lesson for, for people. So with the people that you work with, are they, it sounds to me like they're really trying to replace an existing primary income with, with a new income. Is that, is that accurate? 
Um, sometimes. Uh, usually the conversation kind of starts that way. Uh, but the a successful um, game plan, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. And, and what we see quite frequently in the franchise world is, and, and many Americans today are dual-income families anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the best game plan is that one spouse is going to keep their day job while the other one take, you know, takes on the business. Mm-hmm. And, and the, that way they can bridge that two to four year gap, you know, one to three year gap of starting the business until the business is taking off and getting to a scale that, that demonstrates, um, you know, enough income to the owner. Uh, one of the things that I, you know, set the table for, um, and, and I think it's tough for people to find without having a consultant in the mix because franchise salespeople don't talk about this, but also they really can't uh, get into how much money you can make and things like that because of the Federal Trade Commission and franchising laws and rules. But um, right. I guide them through a process of understanding how long it takes for this particular business model to get to break even. And right. then once you get to break even, what is you know going from past break even to profitability in which you can you know survive and live on from a family perspective is a second time period. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, some business models just naturally break even quickly and some business models just are going to take a lot longer to get to cash flow positive. Um, And so understanding that on the front end and also looking at business models that match your investment criteria or your risk tolerance is really a very important thing to understand. Um, I actually spend a lot of time on this because, as you know, as a business owner, you know, and I talk to a lot of corporate executives that, you know, they're, they're comfortable and used to managing a $10 million budget, as an example. Um, right. But if it's your own money, like a $300,000 budget might be a massive emotional challenge, right? Because you get people get emotional about how money and lack of money and things like that. So preparing them for that on the front end is, is um, I feel very valuable and, and, as you know, with our all of our colleagues in uh, EO and all the business owners that we hang out with, it's a, it's a pretty common uh, phenomenon that you yeah. have to, and it's a skill, right? You, that you have to learn and, and master to not be emotional about money. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really uh, interesting. We we see it a lot with sole proprietors and um, you know, lawyers, physicians. They there's a tendency to think of the, uh, of the investment that they're making in marketing as out of their pocket as opposed to into their business. <laughs> and, um, and it's just an interesting psychological shift. And I, I mean, I, I certainly experienced it as, as well as a, as a business owner, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm looking at things and I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, that's, that, that's going to come out of what I can pay myself. But, if you if you come into it, and this is something that we talk in the nonprofit space as well, if, if you come into the idea that marketing um, is an investment and that that it's an it's a calculated investment that should have a return, um, then it 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 makes it a lot a lot less emotional. Um, and it, but it's but it's certainly a mindset shift that's that's a challenge. 
Absolutely. And then I laughed when you said that because I still struggle with this. I've been doing it for 10 years, right? And, and um, when we ran our elements, here's another thing that is so true. And it's such a hard concept to get your head around. Um, marketing is something that you have to, you have to spend into activity, right? Mm-hmm. But so is hiring. You have to yeah. hire people before you actually need them. You have to hire them when you don't have the money or the revenue to pay for them. And marketing is the same way. And if you can tackle those two things well, your company will grow much quicker than if you do what most people do. And I'm guilty of this myself. <laughs> the, the start stop, right? Like I'm yep. going to spend money and then hold back and I'm going to spend more money and then hold back. And, and yeah. And, and it's so hard. It is. It is. Yeah. You have to track you, but like you said, it's an investment. So you have to track it like an investment and you have to gauge, you know, the, you know, the number of clients that you're getting or however you, however you measure your metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's critically important so that you can get over that, that um, emotional I'm burning money scenario. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I'm just, yeah. I had a candidate actually tell me um, he uses 401k to fund the business. It's okay. like, I'm just lighting my 401k on fire. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not the best attitude to take about it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, almost, it's almost detrimental for success, right? You can't, if you have it, and mindset is such a big thing. And, and yeah. so, as you can tell, there's a lot of my coaching that is around this sort of subjective stuff, which is right. much, you know, as important as financial analysis and cash flows and all the other kind of stuff that we end up talking about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I find myself struggling with the hiring thing and there are a few other kind of challenges that I have to overcome with that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and, and one of the mindset shifts that I've tried and it has worked for me in the past. And I, I try to coach people up on as well, if they're kind of struggling with hiring is that you don't have to come up with the full salary today. Um, you know, you, you have to come up with that salary in, in two week increments and, and so just that kind of reset can be pretty helpful as well when you're, when you're looking at investing in, you know, in people. Um, I think a lot of us have the tendency to look at that entire $80,000 salary or wh- whatever it is, plus benefits, et cetera, and get kind of overwhelmed by that as opposed to the, to the fact that, you know, I really only need to come up with, with two weeks of that at a time. Um, you know, so whatever whatever 80 80,000 divided by 100 and, or 52 you know, 26 right yeah, so, 26 yeah. yeah 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 and that's so critical i i uh, i had an advisor tell me one time that um, i hire people when i had half of their salary and i would set them up for success so that they could earn the rest of it themselves mm-hmm. um, and again it's it's the same thing that you're saying but uh, that's, that's, it's a challenge. The biggest thing that I have a hard time with is what am I going to do with this extra person? Like that's another whole workload to set them up for success, right? And having the systems in place so that they can go and do whatever it is that you need them to do and be effective so that then they can earn the, the, the balance of what you need to pay them and all that kind of stuff. Oh, for sure. I think it's a real common problem or you know, I've heard it from many entrepreneurs and I, I certainly experienced it myself where you get to the point where you're, you're like, well, it's just, it's as 
it's faster for me to just do this myself than to explain (laughs) it to somebody. And, um, and, and that's a, that's a mindset, uh, shift that, (laughs) that I think a lot of us struggle with as well. Yeah. And, and frankly, that's what I fell in love with about franchising. Um, I learned it the hard way. Implementing ISO 9000 quality control process is very, very similar to what franchise systems deliver to their franchisees or franchise brands. Um, and it and it's the systems of this is how this is the job you know in terms of hiring, right? So mm-hmm. some franchisors do a great job of this, and some do a terrible job of this. And so you need to figure out you know. How much is the franchise or lifting for you as the as the business owner? Right. Um, you know, but some franchisors do a great job of you know just in terms of employees. This is the job posting ad that we have, and once you get um, a bunch of jobs, the franchisor will sift through those resumes and do phone interviews for on behalf of the franchisee, and right. then say these are the five people that you should talk to to be at the manager of your store based upon our you know, uh, database or our expertise or whatever. And once you get them on board, here are the training videos in the back office system that, you know, onboards their employees for you and et cetera, et cetera. So all of that work is incredibly, takes an incredible long time to get in place. Um, And I know that because I did it when I was working at the foundry and it took me like literally two years of every single day, Part of my day was building this this quality control system, which is really nothing more than you know mapping up job descriptions and holding people accountable and you know having a system of of check and balance. Right. Um, and anybody who's managed any size of company knows all of that kind of stuff. So it's not rocket science. It's just hard to build from scratch. Right. So that's the that's one of the advantages of of going into a franchise is that there's a lot of that stuff that's that's kind of baked in and, and pre um, pre-configured for the, for the new franchise owner. Is that, is that right? Uh, sometimes. So one of the things that I talk to my candidates about is it's your job to determine the value proposition that this particular franchise is actually delivering. Right. Okay. So I have this, this thing that I've developed over, over the years that, people have this preconceived notion that all I have to do is buy a franchise and I will have these things that I think that a franchise delivers like good systems or brand recognition or, you know, there's a bunch of them. And the reality is, and here's another thing most people don't know. There's like 4,000 franchise companies selling franchises in the U S I would say there's a bunch of really, really good, franchise brands out there and there's a ton of garbage. Yeah. But how would you know the difference if you're talking to a sales guy? If you're talking to a good yeah. salesperson, they're all going to sound good. And you know, that's their job. That's what they should be doing. But as the candidate, you need to really determine how robust is the system that I'm buying. And what does that support structure look like that I think that I'm getting? And so what are the questions that you want to be asking? And and so what I get to is this is the lens that I want you to look through as we go through this process of educating ourselves on whether this business is a business I want to get into. Um, and so then, then they have the confidence that they know what they're paying for, right? Um, in terms of franchise fee and royalties and, and the different fee structures that, that naturally come with a franchise um, partnership. 
Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just a lot to know. And it's, um, I, I would say that it's, it's valuable to, to work with someone like you so that, you know, you don't reinvent the wheel as you're, as you're trying to learn all this new stuff. <laughs> That's actually one of the common things that everybody says, why do you want to buy a franchise? Cause I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot to it. Um, yeah, but it's not overwhelming. I've, I've worked, you know, over the last 10 years, I, I have a process that's very, um, you know, methodical so that people can gather the information that they need and make a, a knowledge-based decision, an educated decision. Right. So as people move into to the franchise space, obviously they're, they're buying a new business. They're looking to, um, you know, grow that business and, and then either have that become kind of a le- probably less of a of a day-to-day activity or or at least enable them to um to scale that to to maybe buy another uh, similar franchise is that uh, I, I guess my question is is really around you know what what are the what are some of the pitfalls that that you see people needing to navigate as they're as they're trying to make this kind of decision hmm I'm not sure where to take that question because there's just a whole bunch of them, right? I mean, there's landmines everywhere in terms of getting over the fear and anxiety of stepping out on your own for the first time or Mm -hmm. the fear of, you know, flushing my retirement down the toilet. I mean, I could go on and on because I've heard it all. Um, But um, what are the pitfalls of people starting their business. Take your question a different way. And see if I can't <laughs> yeah. Get well, better. I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to, trying to get to is there's probably a perception out there, particularly in the franchise space that, or even, even buying an existing business. So for example, you know, kind of what, what Brett and I went through when we purchased our, uh, purchased the business that we, that we purchased, you know, we, we thought, Oh, you know, this is all pre-built and it's just going to be plug and play. And, and it's just going to be a, you know, kind of a moneymaker for us. We're not going to need to, um, you know, it, it, well, for us, it was, it was very similar to what we were doing. So we just figured it was, it was a built-in client base with, uh, with some built-in mechanisms that we may not have felt like we had built effectively. Um, so we were getting those, those pieces of the puzzle as well. Um, but you know, what we didn't expect was, or what we, what we failed to either acknowledge or, um, or, or plan for, I guess, was, was the, the relative health of all of those mechanisms. And, and so what I guess I'm, I'm thinking is uh, I'm sure that there are people out there who think, okay, I can buy a franchise and I can hire some people to run it. And it's just going to be kind of, um, you know, passive income for me. So, you know, within some period of time, I'm, I'm going to be able to, to, either have this free up a lot of my time to do other things or, um, or enable me to, you know, to continue to build on this and, and just repeat this process over and over again without a whole lot of inputs from, from myself. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm looking for big things like that, that people should watch out for or, or think about before they start down this particular road. Yeah, that's a, that is a, um, that's a very common sort of story, right? The, the mm-hmm. within franchising specifically, um, the semi-absentee business owner, right? 
I can just oversee it and I'm going to have a manager and or the franchisor is going to do most of the, the heavy lifting for me. Right. Um, and, and that is so very true. You know, assuming every, assuming that you're working with a very solid franchisor um, with really good systems and excellent support structure and all the stuff that you think that you want, um, some of that is, you know, is just not present in, in, in other brands. They do a fantastic job on that. So let's assume right. that the franchisor is just an A player for sure. Um, most people just don't understand the amount of work that it takes to get a business to the point where you can actually, you know, um, have this sort of semi-absentee lifestyle. Right. Um, and, and now having said that, um, and our experience, I believe wholeheartedly, I have lots of friends in the franchise business. I've placed a lot of people in franchises that actually are have executed on that and have fabulous lives because their businesses make money and they, they don't live in the business, right? right. Um, they're not working you know, seven days a week and Sunday night at 10 o'clock at night. They don't do that. Um, the speed at which that can happen is remarkably fast in franchising. Um, and by that, I mean, you can actually achieve that in probably one to three years, um, okay. probably three years. And I, the reason I say that is um, that was our experience with our elements. When we bought the, we had two locations, we inherited 50 employees. It was fairly chaotic. It felt, felt similar to the boundary. Um, and so I didn't react as nearly as aggressively as maybe my wife did to the, um, you know, the challenges. Right. Um, but I would say in the first year, you know, my wife was doing all the, all the heavy lifting. This, the elements was her business for sure. Right. I was just um, helping in, in doing back office kind of stuff. Um, but she worked a lot in the first year. Now in the third year, she was putting in a solid 10 to 15 hours a week. And, right. and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, right? She, we call them flybys. She would um, just drop into the store for 30 to 45 minutes, talk to the customers, make sure that all the employees, you know, saw her and then she checked on everybody. And, and the rest of the time she was on the phone with our manager and running the back office systems from the house. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a pretty good, business to own. Um, yeah. and, and so, um, at my reaction to when she was like, let's sell the business. I think this is the right time. And there's a couple of different factors going on with our kids going into high school and stuff like that. And I looked at her and I was like, honey, you got this thing pinned. Like right. it's working. It's, I don't understand why you want to get rid of it. Um, but she did. And so I was supportive of that and we sold it and, and everything was great. It was a, I was sort of interested in closing the loop also, you know, what's it like right. to buy a business and then actually sell it. And, and, um, and that was a good experience to understand. But um, yeah, the, the idea that you can start a business and spend 10 hours a week in your first year and think that thing's going to be successful, I think is, um, I think it's doable for some people. Right. Um, I don't think it's practical for most people. Right. Um, you know, you have to be really good at hiring people. Mm -hmm. You have to be excellent at delegating. You have to be excellent at running systems, et cetera. And the people that have done it um, in the franchise space have also done it 
multiple times in the corporate world, right? Right. Uh, so, so you can't really count that first year as as a real first year. It's actually their, you know, twelfth yeah. year. Yeah, and yeah, most people that that are very successful in the franchise space were incredibly successful outside the franchise space, right? right. So that's the other misnomer that you know the franchisor is going to do all this stuff, and um, you know, if you are a B player in the corporate world, you're probably going to be middle of the pack in a franchise. If you were a, a rock star in every corporate job you ever had, you're probably going to be at the top of the system. I mean, right. you know, that's just real. So, yeah, I think this, the idea of this sort of, I can own a bunch of stores and I'm not going to have to work very much. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough one to, you know, that's kind of a hot potato, right? Yeah, for sure. I am. Um, I was just thinking of it in terms of, this idea that that one could plug a, fl- a franchise purchase into their sort of their portfolio of of things that they do, and and somehow manage to make that work w- while they're either working their their regular um, job or running their regular business, um, and and allow some allow those earnings that you get from that franchise to fuel um, either you know philanthropic efforts or or other, um, you know, foundational type of things that, that, that people might want to do. Um, and, and that sounds to me like kind of a pipe dream in terms of that. If you've never done it before, um, you know, you need to expect that first year to be, to be pretty hands-on and, and then going further than that, you know, the first, the first three years to, to require, uh, you know, a fair amount of your, of your energy. Um, yeah, I, I, so the, the short answer to your question is it absolutely um, can be an asset in your portfolio. I actually give a presentation on um, the paper assets versus real estate assets versus business ownership. Mm-hmm. And franchise ownership kind of slides between real estate and business ownership, right, mm-hmm. as, a, as its own asset class. And, and really, without getting into too much detail, I, I look at paper assets as basically an appreciation model, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very low uh, time involvement and, and basically very non-existent cash flow unless you're going to get into derivatives and such. But for regular people, you've got a money manager and you talk to them a couple times a year and you've got a money portfolio, right? right. And, and a paper asset portfolio. And then, you know, rental properties, a lot of people that, that are, you know, do well in corporate America or outside of have real estate uh, rental properties. And, you know, that also has uh, some appreciation business model with a little bit of cash flow. but most people don't live on a rental property. They kind of use it as I look at them as a rental, uh, as a savings account. Right. So yeah, if you can get a 15 year mortgage, 15 years later, somebody else has paid for your mortgage and that's a good investment. Right. Um, Business ownership, as you know, is it's a lot about you as the owner and a lot of entrepreneurs build that business around themselves and, and, you know, they're, they're doing what it takes to make that thing go. And so that's a lot of time involvement, but the cash flow aspect of the business is definitely there. Right. And you're paying the, the full tax game, as I, as I say, you know, in terms of, you know, depreciation and, and all of that kind of stuff, amortization expenses and, and, you know, playing the game. Franchising is because of the systems and structure um, can allow you to sort of get, you know, pull yourself out of the business and stand in the owner's box much more quickly than you, than, than most people can get done in a, uh, 
you know, in, in an entrepreneurial type role. Right. Uh, and so it absolutely can happen. It just, you, I just, I question the big, you know, this comes back to asking the right questions, right? So if a candidate comes to me and says, I want to keep my day job and I want to buy a franchise asset and, and create additional cash flow, that's a very common conversation I have. Right. Um, the answer is it's absolutely doable. Um, how flexible is your day job? Right. Right. When, when all hell breaks loose at the business, are you going to be able to peel away and solve problems? Um, step in there and rehire a manager like, as an example. Right. right. Um, it's not hard to do. It doesn't really take very long. I mean, we had to do it a couple of times, um, you know, and three or four days goes by. Those three or four days are kind of chaotic, but, you know, it takes it takes a couple of days and you can reset the, the clock and get things going again. The beauty about franchising is the business models themselves are not very complicated, right? They don't have as many moving parts as, say, a, you know, a manufacturer or a foundry right. uh, type business or a restaurant. Um, and for the record, I don't I don't work with a lot of restaurants for that okay. reason. Restaurants are just they're complicated businesses to run, just like a manufacturing. Yeah, business. yeah, purchasing and and scheduling and all of that. It just seems there's yeah. a, there's a lot of moving parts. A lot of inventory, perishable inventory, yes, yeah. you know, and, and health codes and all. There's just a lot of things that you need to worry about in a restaurant business that you don't you don't have those problems with a painting franchise or a cleaning franchise or something like that. Right. Right. Um, so uh, you, you mentioned philanthropy and um, I think that is one of the, one of the things I talk to many of my camps about is legacy, right? right? Like how important is legacy to you and how does that fit into this idea of business ownership and um, you know, how do you, what is your plan for, you know, we talk about scaling the business and, are we going to do one location or 10 locations? Um, let's assume that actually happens, right? You, you mm-hmm. 10 years later, you open a location every year and you've made it, right? You're one of the guys that everybody talks to that talks about that owns 10, you know, Taco Bells. Right. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever they, uh, what was that movie? Um, the Blind Side, right? Every, I, I've had probably over the last 10 years, probably 10 different candidates. I want to be the guy on the blind side, right? Um, <laughs> Where he owns all those Taco Bells. But, right. um, you know, the, it's important to to sort of, what is the end game? I, I see any business, franchise business or not, as a vehicle to get you where you want your life to go, right? A, the, that a business is just a vehicle for right. lots of stuff. And, and giving back is, is really, really gratifying. Um, and it's an important aspect of... of Anybody's business. Um, I guess it, not everybody is very philanthropic, but many people are. Um, and a business is a wonderful vehicle to to fund those those different things, right? Right. Um, and not only to fund it financially, but it's the time, right? It's the time to dedicate to things that are important to you. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, in my business, I, I give back in – uh, three different to three different organizations. Um, it's, I really just, I see them almost as an extension of my consulting practice. And so it's easy for me to do, but mm-hmm. it's important. It's important to me that I do that. Um, and, and I really enjoy it. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a part of my business that I enjoy and, and, um, 
I'm glad that I invest the time to do that. So um, I don't know if you wanted me to go into the yeah. different organizations and how I. How oh I yeah, that, that. that'd be great. What are your What are the organizations that you're supporting through your through your um, coaching and and you know franchises and everything else that you're doing? So the the, um, the purpose of my business is to create as many business owners as I can because I feel like a business owner is in a position to create more impact to their employees, the community around their business, and, and through the customers that they serve, right? Um, and so this idea of impact and the business vehicle creating more impact is uh, is something that I hold hold dear and is important to me. So the organizations that I support, um, the first one is SCORE. So SCORE is the um, uh, stands for the uh, Center of Retired Executives, and basically it's a it's an extension of the SBA um, mm-hmm. where. Executives, typically, you know, high-level executives in big companies, will help small business owners with things like marketing, right? So maybe you've got a CMO of Pepsi that's retired, um, and so they've got a lot of insight and sharing on different marketing tactics. Right. Um, I tend to work with the folks that are startup companies, right? Because I've got a startup company or a small business finance background, so. Um, and it's really just an extension of if you're going to evaluate a franchise, these are the questions that you need to ask, right? Well, in a startup scenario, have, what have you thought of, right? Have you done a competitive analysis? Do you know what the market will bear in terms of pricing? Um, a lot of the stuff that franchisors figure out for small business owners, I guide people through a process, um, you know, through through score. So I volunteer my time and uh, through mentoring of folks that are wanting to start a business or maybe they've started a business. Um, and, you know, an executive that, you know, let's say he's an operations guy or a marketing guy, he can really help a small business owner that is already doing 500000 in revenue or a million dollars in revenue take the mm-hmm. business to the next level. But very few of them do very, you know, do a very good job on the, how do you start from scratch, right? Because it's right. completely foreign to them, right? And and they just don't have, um, you know, a lot of they don't have a lot of experience around that. So, um, well, likewise, t- there there are people who are great at that startup phase that are just garbage at running the business once it's into the kind of production phase. Absolutely, yeah. And I would say I'm one of those. I like the three to four year build it to a certain point, and then. You know, because maybe I'm ADHD or something, but I could get bored, right? If it's working really smoothly, it's kind of not as much fun. Um, There's maybe it's, I don't know. Um, So SCORE is a a great organization. Um, You know, sometimes people are talking about franchises. Uh, Hire Heroes is another awesome organization. Um, It's a non-for-profit that focuses on helping ex-military transition to the civilian world. Um, and, and military folks have a very difficult time, mm-hmm. not all of them, but some of them have a difficult time transitioning. Uh, military folks also make fabulous franchise owners. Um, they're very systems driven. Yeah. They, they don't question, right? It's just that show me how to do it and I'll just do it. They're very right. much executors and implementers just by nature of being in the military. 
Um, and so some of them are also very entrepreneurial. So um, the folks that are transitioning out of uh, the military and um, want to start a business um, tend to tend to be the guys that I get to talk to. Nice. Um, every, every once in a while, they'll, they, somebody's interested in a franchise, but usually they've got an idea that they, they don't know how to take to market. Um, and, you know, we get into basic, you know, marketing strategies and, and uh, you know, sometimes the, what's interesting about military guys is they usually have a product that they want to build, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and so they need to get it to basically a, a, to a point where they've got a big enough business where they can, you know, go, go get somebody to make it for them and that kind of thing. Right. Um, so that, that's pretty fun. Um, and then the third organization that I, uh, this is one that I really enjoy watching grow. Um, I learned of, of new story charity is the, is the company, um, or the organization. And this is a bunch of Gen Z guys that I look, that I learned of through, um, one of the, uh, EO events, and they kind of looked at how Habitat for Humanity and and kind of the historical solving the homeless problem, um, and they just took a, a completely different look at it and and created this new charity called New Story. They build entire communities in third world countries, specifically Mexico, Honduras, Ecuador, etc., um, and. A couple of things that I really, really love about their story is, you know, they've got this big audacious goal that they're going to solve homelessness, right? Um, right. And and then you tie this into, you know, all the noise that we've had over the last several years with the Trump administration and the immigration and the border and everything else. Well, if you see, if you look at that and say, well, these people are coming from Mexico and Honduras and Ecuador why don't we solve the problem by creating community? So the, the big difference with new story is they don't go at it and say, we're going to build five homes so that five families can live in five homes. Right. They say, we're going to build 150 homes or 300 homes because a community by nature, you know, pride of home ownership, right. um, it, it creates its own economy. So people have jobs it creates safety. The biggest reason these folks are coming from right. Honduras or whatever to the United States is because they're looking for safety. They're not looking for a big, you know, the American dream as much as they're looking for. So I really, really liked how that all tied together. But then come back to my mission statement is creating as many business owners as we can because business owners make the biggest impact on their community. Right. right? So, um, that's the, the tie into new story because I want the business owners that I'm putting into a franchise to share that story so that they can have the mindset that it's their job to create a community through their business. And it starts with building your, your team, right? right? So that's why I start with, you know, we make the biggest impact on our employees as business owners. And if we do a good job making an impact with our employees, those employees make an impact on our customers and then our customers um, spread the word about how great our business is, which is making the impact on the greater community. So um, yeah. these are just different ways that, um, you know, that I see my business impacting um, 
and and I, I it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun <laughs> to be able to. Yeah, to, it's, uh, I love that mission. I think that that's. I think it's great because I you know I think it extends from you know those values or that 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 feeling and and that the way that that one approaches all of those stakeholders within one's business and this is very kind of b corp um focused yeah. um but as a business owner and this is something that this is what what happened here at relish when when Brett and I kind of made a little bit of a switch back in 2016 was we just started recognizing that that as business owners we had the opportunity to to do things the way that we wanted to do them. And so in our minds, that's, you know, quote, quote unquote, the right way. Um, but the, the way that we were choosing to engage with and the values that we were putting out there for all of, all of our stakeholders. So employees, contractors, our, um, you know, our clients, um, our vendors, the way that we were approaching things actually had the opportunity to spread out from this, you know, the central hub to all of those people and perhaps would influence them to do things differently. And so, you know, I think if you can instill, you know, strong values of honesty and, 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 you know, hard work and all of those things um, at an employee level, that employee is going to take that and, and actually, it transforms their life and they're, they're able to take that and, and put it in play everywhere in their lives. And so, you know, their kids and their friends and family are all going to benefit from, from, from that influence. And, and so I completely agree that, that as you know, the business owners have a real opportunity to, uh, to change the way that people do things in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I firmly believe that impact is found in community. Uh, another reason I love franchising is the good franchisors have a very strong peer-to-peer -peer network, right? So the openness and, and honest and transparent sharing of best practices and what vendors are good vendor and all of that kind of stuff just naturally flows in that franchise community, right? Yeah. Um, but the the community in your business with your employees, you know, is really where, um, where the pride comes from, right? Yeah. Business ownership is hard. And um, just like losing weight or, or lifting weights or whatever, um, you know, your muscles grow when you put them under stress. So yeah, business ownership is hard and franchising is hard. Um, but this, the feeling of ownership, the pride of ownership, the pride of, of building something that you're proud of um, comes through this idea of community, right? And having um, those conversations, those critical conversations with employees right. or customers or whatever. I can tell you, um, you know, my wife's proudest moment in her business had everything to do with her employees. Um, you know, we owned several massage studios or a couple of massage studios. And most of our employees were single moms, right? They were young, right. single moms. And, and, you know, this is, I feel like I'm, you know, too old saying this, but, um, you know, we didn't have baby daddies when I was in high school and college. Like that wasn't a thing, right. but it's definitely a thing now. And so, you know, we'd have these single moms with three kids from three different people and, and they're bouncing around and, you know, and so um, the impact that my wife had on, on her, 
uh, employees I, is something that she's proud of, right? Yeah. And so it, it was little things like noticing that, you know, an employee was showing up late or, or had a different car or didn't have a car. Right. And, you know, I've got an extensive network of, of friends and business owners. So we got a bit of an auto broker that ended up selling like five or six cars throughout our employee base. They were right. the best cars these people had ever, ever had. They right. never had reliable transportation, right? right. So challenges that that was just uh, a daily part of their life was so easy to solve, right? And, um, and I remember in the founder business, we would buy cars for employees and and just deduct their paycheck until they paid them off, right? Right. You know, a thousand dollar car or whatever gets right. them to work every day. Well, you know, some people just they never had somebody do something like that for right. them. Um, you know, and, and this one gal, we said, look, my, when I say we, I mean my wife. She she um, did everything. She's fantastic. She's like, you need to move into this. Uh, apartment building across the street from the studio. We're going to get your daycare set up at our church, which is right down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, don't move in with another guy for another six months and just see what happens. Just right. focus. And, and you know, cause she was moving around all the time and it seemed chaotic. Right. Right. She had never had anybody in her life give her that much coaching and help and direction. And she completely turned her, everything around. It was so cool to see. Um, and, and that's, that's the impact. Yeah. And that's the, you know, you don't have those opportunities, um, to make that kind of impact in, in other vehicles. I mean, I'm sure you can as an employee, you know, as a manager of a business, maybe it's been so long since I've been one. I just don't know. But Yeah. Um, but that, that latitude that you have as an entrepreneur and a business owner, which, which could come from, from, you know, franchise ownership for sure is, is incredible. I mean, I, I do gratitudes every day and, and very frequently one of the gratitudes I have is just the flexibility that I'm able, that I've, you know, created for myself to be able to take advantage of a lot of the things that, that come my way. Um, oh my gosh. Where yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not tied to a desk from, from eight to five and with a, you know, a 30 minute lunch or whatever. I, I can actually, you know, if, if you said, Hey Stu, let's go meet in Boulder and do blah, blah, blah. You know, I could, I could probably rearrange my schedule to, to make that happen. Um, where maybe that would be, a, you know, one of the more impactful things I'd ever done in my life. Like, you know, have an opportunity to go help bail someone out of a, of a problem. And, and, and that flexibility, um, you know, is, is, it's just so powerful. Yeah. And we have to remember, thank you for, I have a gratitude journal as well. Um, you got to write it down and remind yourself that you have it because it's something that we take for granted, you know, as, as business owners, I can tell you, um, I've talked to thousands of people over 10 years that wanted to get into the franchise business. And that is number one or number two. Why do you want to get into a business? Why do you want to start a franchise? I want freedom and control over my time. Yeah. I want to coach my kids' softball team. Yeah. I want, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to live in an airplane. Um, you know, I, I want to just, I want to have dinner with my family every night at right. six. Right. Right. Um, it, these, you know, and so you would think it would be, you know, I want to build an empire or I want to make X number of dollars or, you know, I need this kind of income. And usually the conversation starts there, mm-hmm. but as, as we kind of, you know, 
go through my process and I, and I ask some pointed questions, it's, you know, I think money is a terrible motivator, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and the other thing coming back to the, um, philanthropy, uh, question, you know, I think most people, and, and I think me for myself personally, you have this idea that philanthropy is, is for people like Bill Gates that create foundations and, and, you know, feed people in Uganda or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't need to be that, right? It's, it's as soon as you have more than you need for your family, um, which is really much less than what a lot of people would think, mm-hmm. then, then your, your mind naturally goes to how do I, how do I use this business to help other people? And, and what can, you know, to this whole idea of, of impact and, um, and where we go with it. And that's the fun part, right? It's, it's, um, it, you know, we have this fundamental conversation about revenue minus expenses and net profit and then scalability. I have one location or two locations, right? Um, you know, once you get yourself to a certain scale, then it's no longer about adding an additional location so you can go on a fancy vacation with your family. It's about how do I, you know, what am I going to do with this business to, 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 to make a bigger impact or to accomplish different things in my life or, you know, legacy type things or whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, that's when, that's when the conversation gets really fun. And, yeah. and really the reason that I'm in this business and, and helping people be, um, you know, I, I truly believe this country, if this country needs anything with all the crazy chaos that's been going on over the last couple of years, um, or the last two decades, however you want to look at it, I truly believe this country needs more business owners because business owners are have an independent mindset, mm-hmm. and and most people depends on how skeptical you might be or or jaded, however you want to put that. But most people want to do the right thing for everybody around them, and and most people want to create a great reputation. And business owners understand that better than anybody because yeah. it's so important, right, yeah. to have a good reputation and Yelp reviews and all that kind of stuff. If you work on that for 10 years, like that's powerful and, and independent is the key word. This country needs more independence in my opinion, Um, independent of thought and, and giving back in a way that's material and manageable and, and uh, impactful. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I can't believe we've been talking for over an hour. It's been really fantastic to to learn more about about what you do over there and and just how you're how you know how you visualize um, the benefits that that can be made from you know from from owners business ownership and you know just period. I, I really love it. How how can people find out more about uh, about you and and uh, maybe if they're interested in in exploring um, owning a franchise or a business themselves? Um, the I mean I'm happy to just take a phone call. My phone number is three zero three nine three three zero eight nine zero. D Weaver at franchise dot com is my email address. Um, and you can learn more about my business at um, www.franchiseyourfreedom.com or you can find me on the Franchise website at uh, franchise.com forward slash dweaver. We'll take you right to my 
my landing page. Awesome. I will share all of those in the show notes as well for everybody. Um, I like to, I love having these conversations. I mean, it's, it's one of the things I look forward to most during my week is my, my opportunity to chat with, with new people and, and get a, you know, get some new understanding and, and learning. And, but one of the things that I really like even more than conversation is when, when there's an action that people can take. And so if you had the opportunity to, to give somebody some advice or, or give them a, a, a tip on something to do after listening to the show, what, what would that thing be? Um, as it relates to business ownership, I would say, um, don't wait as long as I did. I waited <laughs> until I was 39 until I absolutely took the leap and, and I dabbled with it. And I had a couple of small businesses on the side and, you know, I did real estate stuff, but, um, if you've, if you've always wanted to be a business owner and you think that you would be good at it, you will be good at it. So just do it. And if franchising is, a, is an avenue that you want to take, um, give me a call and I'm happy to help. My services are free. Um, and, you know, my, my business is set up kind of like an executive recruiter where the franchisor pays me for my consulting time. So that's easy. And if you can't tell, I'm super passionate about helping people become business owners. If you have a great idea um, and you want to start your own business, SCORE is a wonderful organization. There's a SCORE chapter in every city across the country. So call up your SCORE chapter, find a good mentor, and start asking a lot of questions. Love it. Um, so that would be my call to action is don't wait. Don't wait another year um, because now's the time. I, I love it. Thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show, David. It was great talking with you and I will talk to you soon. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. There you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.